Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. I'm so pleased to have my friend Melanie D. Simone join me on the podcast today. Melanie is the wife of Hector and the mom of four adult children and a proud grandmother of one. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet her a few years ago when she spoke at an event for bereaved parents here in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and it was a blessing to spend some time with her that weekend. Many of our listeners will know her from her blog, The Life I Didn't Choose, which has over 17,000 regular followers. I'm pleased to call her my friend and to welcome her to the podcast today. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's good to have you. So let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from and what life is like there. Well, I live in Bibb County, Alabama. And in Alabama, if you don't live inside a city, that's what you say, the county you live from. And uh, I have a small farm where I have uh, a myriad of animals, some horses, goats, sheep, donkeys, chickens, dogs, cats, used to have a lot more of things. And uh, I like to say that I have shepherded children and animals for basically my entire life. Um, I spend a lot of my day outside, and the other part of the day I spend pretty much uh, writing and interacting with parents that I've met through the blog or through online bereaved groups. I know you're an early riser. You get up early in the morning and feed those animals, don't you? Yeah, I get up early enough that they're still asleep. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. But I'm kind of a uh, I'm kind of a sunrise to sunset sort of girl. That's just how mm-hmm. I'm how I'm tuned. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do get up early, and I yeah. and I it's a quiet time. I I can't remember the writer who said it, but. Uh, there was a writer that talked about the time between uh, three and five in the morning being this kind of magic time of, mm-hmm. of quiet, that the whole world is quiet. Yeah. And um, and I found that to be true. So when my children were very, very young, before we had this farm, I tended to get up so that I could do scripture study without a kid in my lap. Um, and then it just stuck. Yeah. So yeah. That's pretty much what I do. Mm-hmm. That's good. So you're married to Hector. And how long have y'all been married? We have been married for 36 years, 36 and a half. And he just recently retired. He's come home for good. And um, so that's a a whole nother uh, phase of life that we're adjusting to. And because he worked out of town for a number of years, he would obviously came home, you know, holidays and punctuated times throughout the year. But um, he was gone a good bit. So it's been a real reintegration of uh of us as as a couple you know to work through that but it's going pretty good and we laugh a lot and and as long as you can laugh you can get through it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yes i could imagine that's a big big life change Mm -hmm. but a good one at the same time it is a good one it's a good one we have a lot more flexibility now which is sure yes that is nice and you have four kids like i mentioned tell me just a little bit about your kids I do. I have four children. Uh, Fiona is the oldest. 
she's an ER nurse and um, that's her trade, but her passion is um, loving other people. She's always been followed hard after Jesus from the time she was a little girl and has always been involved in ministry, um, sometimes through music ministry, which was the passion that she shared with Dominic, and all, at other times through other things. Um, she was the director of our local Save a Life clinic for a year. Um, she has She is currently... Uh, very good friends with a with a young woman who has six foster children, and so Fiona and uh, she's a, the the one that has the foster children is a single mom, and so Fiona and um, another couple friends and the mom all work together, you know, to maintain stability wow. and sure. and things for these kids. And you can imagine with COVID and kids in school, not in school, and stuff like that. So. They really are a community of caregivers for these kids, and mm-hmm. and um and I've seen her really pour into their lives in a in a big way, and um she's grown into a woman of the word and one that I count as a friend as well as my my daughter, and yeah. that has been a beautiful blessing. Yes, yes. And then I have James Michael, who is uh, married to Lily, um, and they're the ones with the with my grandson, their son, Riker, mm-hmm. who was born prematurely while my son, who is an Air Force captain, was uh, uh, deployed in Africa. So he was not able to get home in time for the um, birth. It was an emergency birth because his wife was in danger. and But he did get here. And so we have a lovely testimony of God's hand and work in uh, their lives through uh, protecting Riker and, and raising yes. him up healthy and strong. And uh, mm-hmm. as a parent who um, has buried a child, uh, it was a particularly stressful few several hours and a couple days for me for Riker on Riker's side um, to know that Lily's life was in grave danger and that sure. Riker might not make it either, you know. And so um, I had to, you know, listen to my son on the phone tell me that, you know, he had had to make the decision and tell the doctor, you've got to deliver the baby regardless. And that is, that's one of the changes that you have in your family as a result of child loss, sibling loss. Sure. Is your kids know how to make hard decisions and they know Mm -hmm. exactly how hard the decision actually is. Mm-hmm. So I'm proud of him. He's a public health officer, and of course, he's been staying incredibly busy, just like Fiona. Yay, COVID! Right. Um, and then Dominic was the thir- is our third child. He um, is a middle child in every way you can be a middle child. He's the middle of three brothers, and he's also the third of four four children. So um, he was. Uh, he was a very active child, very athletic from a young age, and um, talented musician, could play anything with strings, um, and, but the drums were his real, his real forte. And so he was also, as many, many, many middle children are, rather argumentative. Um, you know, everything has to be fair, but nothing is ever really fair in life. So that was the source of many... Many long hours around the kitchen table. Sure, um, but he was uh, he was a delight. He was a he was a very uh, 
he smiled a lot. He had a he had a smile that could light up a room. He was very social. He was always one that would go to the person in the corner who maybe somebody wasn't talking to. Um, and uh, so he he's really something, and we'll talk about him, I know, a little more later. He's the one mm-hmm. that went to heaven ahead of us. And then I have Julian, who's the youngest, and he is, um, he has a shepherd's heart. He is my child who uh, is extremely sensitive to other people and their needs. Um, and between his own work and his own projects, one of which is restoring a 100-year-old house on the main street in our little town, he is the Johnny on the spot to pull everybody's ox out of the ditch. You know, he knows mm-hmm. how to fix everything, and he never says no. And um, so he still lives close enough to home that he's able to, you know, help us here. Uh, he's only a few miles up the road. Oh, um, nice. And so... He's really something, and, you know, people talk about their caboose, and um, our our families most certainly would not have been complete if we had not had Julian. Sounds like your kids just all have their own very different personalities and and lives, and uh, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, we always said that we came as a committee. Everybody had a specialty, and and we yeah. would just show up when the DeSimones showed up because we homeschooled too. So we so yes. we did a lot of things together because all the kids were together all the time. So sure. we would show up, and people would be like, "Oh, there's the DeSimones; they can fix it," you know, because each one had a had a specialty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you all had your own little niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good, very good. So. Dominic ran ahead to heaven about six and a half years ago. Is that right? Um, talk about what happened. Um, he, at that time, was finishing up his second year in law school. And he uh, had been hanging around his apartment. It was a Friday night. And about 10 o'clock, some friends called and said, Hey, you want to join us down at the lo- one of the local gathering places? And they were going to play some pool and stuff. That spring had been wet and cold, and Dominic had a car available to him, but he also has a motor- had a motorcycle. And it was a beautiful night, and so he decided to take his motorcycle into town. And uh, I know from his friends about what time he left, um, a little before 1 o'clock, he decided to go back home, and, you know... All I can say is, and I know some parents never want to place any responsibility on their child that died, but I do place some responsibility on Dominic, and I feel okay with that, because I think if he had survived, he would have accepted it. Mm, um, sure. He decided to go fast for whatever reason, like really fast, yeah. and um, there's a curve right before where his apartment was, and he lost control, went off the road, managed to steer through several obstacles, finally hit uh, a chain-link fence, was thrown from his bike, and as far as we know, he was killed instantly when at that time. And um, turned out that um, it was into a yard of this man who also rode motorcycles, mm-hmm. and they had kind of known each other, not really, but by sight, because sure. um, they would go up to the local uh, gas station and fill up their bikes. So the man had been working in his shop. He ran out there. He called for help. And so one of God's mercies in this is that I know that Dominic was not alone when Mm -hmm. he was, if he was still alive for a little bit. 
sure. he was not alone, but he was declared dead on the scene. Mm-hmm. And um, that was around one ten in the morning. And because Dominic's full name is Hector Dominic De Simone, and my husband's full name is Hector Michael De Simone, and the accident happened in Tuscaloosa County, and we live in Bibb County. Mm-hmm. So a sheriff knocks on my door at 4 a.m., a local sheriff. They, I guess Tuscaloosa had called the Bibb County Sheriff's, and says, is this where Hector De Simone lives? Well, my initial response was they were talking about my husband. Sure. Because we didn't call Dominic Hector. We called him Dominic. Right. And... um then I finally, you know, sunk through. I said, has something happened? And he says, yes, he was killed on a motorcycle, which then I knew it was Dominic. Oh, my goodness. And he just said it straight out like that. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was a young wow. kid. <laughs> I, I almost felt sorry for him, even if, even in the midst of being feeling just horrified and overwhelmed. I almost felt sorry for him because I'm thinking, yeah. this, you don't know how to do this. You know, you, you know. Mm. So, um I knew I had to make phone calls, and I brought him into the house. I said, you can't leave. He had this little scribbled piece of paper with a with a number from Tuscaloosa County. And I thought, you know, who knows if they've messed up a number. I got to, you know, I, I got to make sure this works before I start right. calling anybody else. And so I called Tuscaloosa, and I said, how do you know it's my son? Again, I didn't know how they knew, you know, and he had his driver's license on him, and they described some things, so mm-hmm. I knew it was him. But, sure. um because my husband worked out of town, um, I had to make all the phone calls. I had to call him first. Oh. and So you were alone. Yes. I, well, my daughter and my son happened to be spending the weekend mm. here. But, okay. But I had to make all the phone calls. You know, I had to call him, mm-hmm. my parents, my other son who was out of town, and, um, my, and you know, just everybody. So that was, um, that was extremely traumatic. But it was also, I honestly think, you know, some people say that they have a hard time accepting that their child is actually dead. But I had to keep repeating those words over and mm-hmm. over again. And I think mm-hmm. while there were many times when in the in the months afterwards, you know, I'd almost think I'd be like, oh, is that is that his car coming up the driveway? You know, is that his shoulder sure. in the in the doorway? Um, but I really think that having to do that sort of pushed it into my heart in a deep way, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody would call that a mercy or not, but it was it was certainly a work that God did in me to help me be able to accept maybe more quickly that he was actually dead. Yeah. Um, you know, your story is so different from mine mm-hmm. in that, you know, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer and we had time to prepare uh, for what, unless God did a miracle, was the inevitable. And um, it's always so hard for me to imagine being in a situation like yours where everything is fine one moment and then everything is wrong the next. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's just, it's just hard for me to even comprehend. I think, it, I think, you know, the longer I've been in the bereaved parent community, the more I realize that there's no good way, oh, right. no easy way to lose a child. Yes. And you also had difficult choices to make. And sure. while you had time, you had some time that was very hard and harsh and memories that you won't be able to erase. Right. And I assume, I mean, I don't mean to oh, speak yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, no. But 
you're right though, but sudden death has its own trauma to it, and I think that's something that's very underrated in the chi- in the child loss community, and definitely in the counseling community with respect oh, to child sure. loss. They just really don't understand that you know they, that trauma is that there's a lot of trauma with sudden death. Right, yeah. right. So, so many people have come to know you through your blog. Um, as I said in the introduction, the name of your blog is The Life I Didn't Choose. So where did that name come from? Well, I when I decided I wanted to do a blog, mm-hmm. I was thinking of how to concisely convey two things. One, that this was a path I didn't I would never have chosen for myself. I didn't right. create the path for myself. It wasn't a result of my choices um, to be on this path. And secondly, as a like a tip forward to the fact that I'm still I'm led by my shepherd, you know. Mm-hmm. And being a shepherd myself, that's a very important uh, concept to me. I've shepherded sheep and goats for over twenty years. And I understand how they cling to me, how they look to me, how they follow me, how they trust me. And there are times when I'm leading them somewhere that they don't want to go, like my sheep to be sheared or the goats to get vaccines or whatever, you know, and those are small things relative to the death of a child. But the, but the analogy plays out and they come to me and they trust me and they submit to me because I'm their shepherd. So all of that came together in my mind thinking, no, I didn't pick this path, but Jesus is still here with me and he's my Mm -hmm. shepherd and he's not going to leave me. And I can trust him to lead me down this path, even if it's a dark one, even if it's one that I would never, ever pick for myself. So I guess that's really kind of how it how it came together. Sure. So how soon after Dom's death did you begin writing? It was pretty close. It was just shy of a year and a half. Mm, okay. And so it was uh, quite a bit of time that had passed. Oh, between. yeah. I had, yeah. I am a journaler. And so mm-hmm. I had been journaling, you know, I'd been journaling for years. And I mean, I, I journaled the year, the day he died. I had probably had mm. four or five entries in my journal for that day. Um, and I, sort of started thinking about, you know, after a period of time when you've when you've had a death in the family and especially a child loss death, because it's it's just different. It's different quantitatively than in and in quality than it is to most other deaths that are experienced in life. Um the conversation kind of died down in my family, you know, kind of it kind of waned off. So, very frankly, one of the first reasons I started writing was I had all this stuff that I wanted to say about, you know, this is this is ongoing for me and my family. This is not something that has stopped happening. It continues right. to happen. And, um, and I've always written. I've always been a writer in some form or fashion doing different things. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just put this out here. And I, and I had a goal. I've since then written some, a few or a few longer blogs, 
But in general, my goal was I was going to do 250 to 300 words. It was going to be short, to the point, and I was going to try to create an analogy that was comprehensible in each blog. So that was kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. And um, and my family started reading it, and then other people started reading it, which surprised yeah. me. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no. You know, I didn't know anything about doing a blog or or how how it would where it could reach or, or what the reach would be. So sure. that's how it started. Yeah. Well, and I think that length of, of your blog posts is probably one reason why it's so widely read. You know, bereaved mm-hmm. parents can't take in a whole lot of information at once. They don't Correct. have the attention span or the emotional energy to read something that's going to require mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes of focused concentration. Right. But they can read something that only takes two or three minutes. And most of right. your blogs only take about that long to read. And right. um, I think that's, uh, you You write well for your audience. Well, I appreciate that. But I, and as time went on, of course, then I began to, um, you know, get involved more with the bereaved parent community. Yes. Um, which then I saw, then it wasn't just my perspective. It was also people would raise questions and we would begin to comment back and forth between it. Course, I never use anybody's details or words unless right. I have expressed permission to do Absolutely, so. Absolutely, yes. But the ideas, the mm-hmm. ideas would come up, and they some of them were not ideas that I personally may have ever thought about because mm-hmm. they were different than my experience, mm-hmm. you know. And then I would like think about them or research them or do some scripture research or things like that, and you know, and it would develop into a blog post, you know. And then, of course, grief changes over time, yes, which is as we all know. You know, so there's different things today mm-hmm. that are challenges, you know, to me and my family than there were six years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So your writing has continued just to kind of evolve over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has it been therapeutic yeah. for you to write? It has. It, it forces me um, to pin down feelings and thoughts and to work through things um, instead of letting them just swirl around in my head. I've found that uh, the enemy of our souls loves confusion. Yes. And so it seems almost, even if, even if the blog post that I'm writing is not a specifically uh, scripture-oriented blog post, but it's just working through some of the details of grief or practical aspects of grief or grief or whatever, um, that it, it blows away the smoke. Yes. And, you know, I think it's, um, oh, fiddly D, I think it's Flannery O'Connor that says, I never know what I think until I write it down. Exactly. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yes. Something like that. Yes. And I'm like, oh, there's lots of times I'm just flowing along and then I go, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I meant. You're right. You know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had so. the same experience. That's so, in yes, writing. it's yes. therapeutic. And also the the habitual commitment mm-hmm. to do it has been a good habit for my days, which we all know that when you have when grief comes on you heavily, it's easy to just sort of blob out. Right. And so having that commitment means even if I'm reposting a blog, it means get up, get yourself going think about things, do something. And that really, that and my animals really saved me. Yeah. Yeah. It adds some structure to your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A reason, a purpose. So, um, 
One reason I think your blog is so widely read also is because it's just so very practical. You write in a way that's very relatable to other bereaved parents, down to earth, to the point. Like we said, not big long posts, but just write um, exactly what people need to read. So um, let's talk about some of those practical things now. So even though, you know, it's been several years now since Dom went to heaven, think back to those early days of your grief. What advice would you give to a newly bereaved parent? I think the most important thing I would say to them, I would say two things. One is to give yourself grace and to give yourself space. And to the extent that you can, extend grace to people around you. Yes. Because if you don't, you'll end up being in a wound, wounded in a corner all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that people won't wound you and that, and that you don't have the right to feel wounded. But if, if you can just kind of operate in that grace bubble to some extent for yourself and others, that's one thing I would say. Because it then makes space for you to do the work grief requires, and it also makes space to hear from God. Absolutely. And then the other thing I would say is keep telling yourself truth, even when your heart doesn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. I had Bible verses posted all over my house. I had them on my mirrors. I had them on my purse. I had them everywhere. I still have some. And I had... Um, you know, song lyrics that were important to me um, posted and um, quotes and things like that because I needed to be reminded. I needed to be reminded because your your emotions are going to pull you away from truth, yes. which is a completely normal thing. But... We can't let our emotions take us down these trails in grief. They will to some extent, but no, we can't, we can't give in to them and just let them take us willy-nilly forever any more than we can in any other relationship or any other um, part of our lives. Right. You know, um, we, can't, we can't just eat with our emotions. We can't be married to our emotions literally and figuratively. I mean, you know. Not you know you don't you're not always feeling that hot about your married your spouse but you don't you don't act on that you you keep you stick it out right you, you're, the truth is you're married so that 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 it makes a box it makes a box around how far you're going to go off the path mm-hmm. and that that's what I like about that's what I would tell them and then the other thing is I would say if you can find a community of fellow bereaved parents, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, please try to find one yes. that is a community of believers, which is how I found while we're waiting, which I didn't know about until, oh goodness, it was almost two years after Dominic died before I, I found y'all. And um, I was looking, mm-hmm. but I live in a rural place and there just right. weren't any in-person meetings and I couldn't, whatever I was doing on Facebook was not right because I couldn't get to any of them. Right. And, um, and so when I found y'all, it was like a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. because I didn't want, I was sad. We're all sad. We're all in deep pain. We're all sorrowful. 
I still miss my son. I still have bad days. I still have times when I think, really, is this really, truly my life? Right. You know, um, but you can say that in the while we're waiting group. And while other people, they're not, they don't come in and correct you, but they come in and they strengthen you and they say, hold on, let me, let me give you a little light. You know, let me shine a little light on this. Let me, let me encourage you. Let me pray for you. Let me, you know, whereas I've been in a, I still am in a couple of other groups um, that are not Christian, specifically Christian. I stay in them because one of them allows me to continue to post the blog. So I feel like that's a wonderful outreach opportunity. Absolutely. Yes. But, um, but I, I'm saddened by the despair that I hear in voices and the, and the only thing people can, because of the, the rules, the only thing people can offer is sending love and a hug. Right. Well, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, that's sweet. Right. But pretty <laughs> but, empty. You know, to me, that's akin to when the, the, uh, um, news reporter after they report on some tragedy says, our thoughts are with you. Right. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, exactly. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, finding a group, you know, and if you can't find, if you don't, if, I mean, there, anyone who wants to can be in the online group. Yes. But it, but if you can't find a local group, if you have just one or two faithful mm-hmm. Christian friends who will let you blurb, you know, without giving you what I call Sunday school answers right. to everything you say, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that is huge. You know, just you got to you got to have some place where you can say what you need to say, but then be pointed back to Jesus. Exactly. That's what it's all about. That's the only way we get through it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it would just, we wouldn't. Right. I don't think. I mean, I guess some people do, but I don't know how they do right. it. No, I don't either. So you have written extensively on your blog about dealing with the holidays, and you have shared some very practical tips on getting through these especially difficult days with grace. And uh, this particular episode is going to be airing just a few weeks before Christmas, so I'd really like to focus the rest of our conversation on how we as bereaved parents can survive and maybe even thrive through the holiday season. Um, I know one of the things that you recommend is a holiday journal, which is really intriguing to me because I am a planner myself. And this is something that I think would have been really, really helpful to me in the early years of my grief. And of course, I didn't know you then. Um, so talk about what a holiday journal might include. Okay, so one of the things that I've done for years, like I said, we homeschooled. Yes. For, I think it was a total of 22 or 23 years. I've lost track. But one of the things I did was I would take every year, um, and I had a separate one for the holidays, but just for the year, I would just take a um, simple uh, spiral notebook, and it would be like, this year it would be 2021. And I would put um, a few, I made my own little cheapy dividers, or you can use post-it notes or something, and you and I div- divided it into a few categories. So I happen to have my holiday journal here with me, which no one can see, but I can go through a little bit with you. So what I do is I just write holidays 2020 on the front, and then on the first page I use, it says contents, and that way I can list things. It's not, it's not uber organized, but, it do, but what it does is it puts everything in one place. And then I usually, the first next few pages 
are used for um, either uh, recipes I find in a in a someplace that I whether I get them off the internet or I, if I if they're in my cookbooks I go ahead and Xerox them because it's just easier to have it all in one place. Um, I jot down. Um, uh, conversations I have with family members, like about, you know, what schedules are going to be. Um, I have, uh, if, if people mention things throughout the year, things that they think they might like for Christmas or might like to do for Christmas, I try to do that. If I place any orders, um, I, I just go ahead and this is all a, a product of grief brain too. I, you know, I go ahead and I know it's in my email somewhere, but I just print the thing and staple it inside <laughs> So my my uh, contents usually end up being just a, about 30 pages up front. This is like in an 80-page spiral notebook. 30 pages up front of that kind of stuff. Then, um, because I write the blog, I usually have about five pages where I have I jot down post ideas mm-hmm. for, that, for that month or for the two months. I consider it like Thanksgiving through Christmas, really through New Year's. And then I... Um, have another 10 pages that I usually do and it's like needed tasks and I'll break out like I started actually you doing my daily lists in that section about the middle of November so you know like it's all the chores I need to do um and again I keep phone numbers if I've if I've made an order for something I put the phone number I put when it's expected to come in then I have a separate section on Thanksgiving where I just I write my menus, who's coming, our plans, Christmas, and then um, like when my husband was traveling a lot, I would I would put his um, airplane tickets in there, you know, things, anything that basically it's not so much like a it's not a um, oh what do they call those things the little where they make the little dots and the, those kind of uh, planner things oh. oh can't remember what they're called, but they're very complicated. Right. It's nothing that complicated. Mm-hmm. It's really just a central place with dividers that suit however your family does things, whether it's, you know, like one for gifts or, you know, if I had a lot of little kids anymore, I'd probably have a whole section on sure. gifts, but my kids are older, so gifts lot simplified. Um, I do, I keep a list in there of who I sent holiday cards to, mm-hmm. things like that, you know, and so, and then the the best part of this is that the next year, I just pull this one off the shelf. Mm-hmm. And I also make notes as we go along. So things that are, that work well, I go, oh, yay. You know, things that work cruddy, I say, oh, no, we don't want to do that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so, and so I start each year, I've got the, the uh, information from last year. Mm-hmm. And I can go forward. And what it really boils down to is just a central place. I can take it with me in the car if I need to go somewhere and I'm looking for a particular thing. I wouldn't necessarily take the whole thing in the store with me, but I can create a a shopping list. And that way I have all the sizes and everything with me. Because, you know, you might go somewhere and think you're not going to stop, but then you do. And then you're like, oh, I don't have that information with me. So usually when I'm this time of year, if I'm going shopping, it goes with me in the car. I can look for those kinds of things. And um, it's just, it's just served me well as a way to keep, um, keep my brain a little bit clearer Mm -hmm. and take the stress off. Because one of the things that I've discovered in grief is that when I feel unprepared or ill prepared, um, it creates a lot of stress. And when I, 
when the stress builds up, it makes the grief feel stronger and sure. harder to bear. And then it just, it just snowballs. So it's one of the ways that I've found of offloading some very practical tasks that have to be done to paper. And, you know, I guess you could do it online, but, right. to, you know, on your computer. But there's just something about being able to, you don't have to have an, a uh, battery or anything. And I can just, you know, take it with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very so. helpful. I know for me, um, like I said, I'm a planner and it helps me deal with the holidays if I have a plan. If I know where we're going to go, if I know, you know, what gifts I need to, to take care of, if I know what the food is going to be, it's just helpful to have a plan. It gives you, yes. you know, so many things when you're grieving feel completely and totally out of control. And that gives you maybe a little bit of a sense of control, even though mm-hmm. we both know we don't really have control over anything. But sometimes it helps just to feel like you have a little bit of control. Yeah. Well, and it helps you feel like you're not missing something that you could control yeah that to me Mm -hmm. you know like when i make sure that i write down like you said food or 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 who's going to be there or if i need a gift or you know things like that that just that makes me feel less stressed sure sure so what are some practical ways that you have found for those whose hearts are just really hurting just really aching to maneuver through the holiday season talk to people to moms and dads that this may be the very first Christmas that they have faced without their child? I think the first thing that you have to do is admit that it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on your families, the age of, if they're surviving siblings, the age of the surviving siblings, and also any pressure that you may have from your larger family or friends. Or if you're in ministry, for example, it can be very difficult to say this is not going to be Christmas or Thanksgiving as usual. It just Mm -hmm. is not. It can't be. It can't be. Um, So I think one of the big things is give yourself permission to say it at least to yourself and hopefully eventually to those around you. Um, Because you can't, you cannot manufacture it. You cannot force it. And what ends up happening, if you do, is I have heard from family after family after family that try to do that, it ends up being a disaster one way or the other. Um, and it's just, it, it's just, it's just not worth it. Although the alternative is very hard. It's very hard to have hard conversations with family and friends and perhaps ministry coworkers and say, look, we can't do this this year. We can't do this one thing this year. The first year I had to tell my parents that our family always got together and opened presents together. And we didn't even want any presents. I mean, we got presents for other people, but we didn't even want any presents. And I asked them, I said, please just don't buy us presents. And y'all opened, this was with my brother's family and and Mm -hmm. a couple other family members. And I said, y'all, please, you know, just go ahead, do your thing, call us when you're done, and we will come over and have dinner with you. Because that was something that we could, we felt like we could do. Sure. Um, And that was, it was just important to us to do that. It was not received well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there were a lot of mopey faces around the table because we had done that, you know. Um, 
But I couldn't help it. It was just what we needed. We were too broken. We couldn't sit in the circle without Dominic's face also being in the circle. We couldn't hear people's names being called out without his also being called out. We just didn't know how to do that. We've been able to change some over the years, but that was just what we had to do. Um, The other thing I would say is it's okay to set boundaries, Mm -hmm. um, which is another thing that's really difficult for people in general, and it's harder in grief because there's so little energy to defend them and to have the conversations that institute them. Um, But I don't know if if people know about Brene Brown, but I would strongly recommend some of her work on boundaries and on on some of her podcasts about that because um, being nice without boundaries is not really being nice because it's allowing others to to believe something that's untrue and also allowing others to treat you in a way that you are not going to be able to stand up under forever. Eventually, the lid's going to come off. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that that gently, kindly as possible, tell people the things that you really can't do. Right. Um, and, and then if you do have young children, be aware that they are not going to have the capacity to understand everything changing. So if you need help from somebody else to help your little, littler kids, you know, still have Christmas in some form or fashion the way you're used to having it. Um, you know, like if, you, if your family always went to the... Um, the train thing uh where i believe it's the i don't know a lot of the a lot of the churches have it where you go and it's like this christmas special thing you know hmm. if if there's another family that's going of course this is covid it's a whole different year yeah, sure. but if there's another family that's going ask them if they'll take your kids in their pajamas sure. you know you don't have to do it and then the children still get to experience that you know mm-hmm. um so be be willing to accept help I guess would be the other thing, you know, and, um, and know that bottom line, the way we celebrate Christmas is it really doesn't have anything to do with scriptural mandates. (laughs) Exactly. So we're not sinning if we don't put up a Christmas tree, you know, or do all the other things that we have become accustomed to doing for all of these years. And I think that's another thing. It's not a sin to Mm -hmm. not do those things. So free yourself from that, you know, if you can, you know, and, and have conversations. I would say first, if you, ha- if you have a spouse or a partner, you know, start there. If you have older kids, go to them next, you know, and if you have younger kids, include them on a level that's appropriate for their age. And then if you have family members, like my parents always had Christmas with us, you know, so I had to go to my parents and my brother, mm-hmm. um, you know, go to the next people, but start with your inner grief circle. Yes. Decide for yourselves what you guys think you can tolerate and then go from there and just stick together. You know, I mean, that's it. It's hard. It's it's very it seems like unfairness upon unfairness yes. that we who are dancing to a tune we hate have to teach the dance to everyone around us. Mm. But we do. Mm-hmm. because we're the only ones that can hear the music. Right. Yeah. 
it falls upon us to educate. That's the yeah. only. That's it, the only and, way. And it does seem unfair, but it is. It mm-hmm. is what it is. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Our first Christmas. Um, we still had a 14-year-old daughter at home, and we just kind of let her take the lead, whatever mm-hmm. she wanted to do as far as, you know, putting up a tree or getting out old ornaments or starting with some new or establishing new traditions or keeping the old. Um, we let her take the lead in those things, and it worked out well for us. Um, but the harder part for us was dealing with the extended family. You know, the expectations that the grandparents and aunts and uncles and people like that have of what your family should do (laughs) during Mm -hmm. the holidays. And, you know, that's one thing when we talk to bereaved parents, we said, you know, this is this is the one time it's really okay to be selfish and do. And it's really not being selfish. It's taking care of what your family needs and Mm -hmm. putting your family, your family unit first. And, um, you know, it's going to look different for every family. Sure. And it will look different from year to year. What what yes. works for you the first year may be not good for the next year. You said in your journal you would write down some of those things didn't work. Yeah. You know, it's so it's something you have to adjust every mm-hmm. year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and it changes, you know, as your family continues to change. Yes. In seasons it changes. You know, so um we've had seasons where there's been illness in our family that has changed how we had to do things. We've had seasons where uh, working schedules have created different kinds of things that we had to do, you know, um, as kids have gotten married or, you know, have different jobs. And um, of course, for some parents, their children are so small, they're not really thinking about right. those things yet, mm-hmm. but, but it, it'll come eventually. And, and it's all of those things change how it, you know, how it, how you go forward. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, many of our listeners are not bereaved parents themselves, but they love someone who is, and they want to know what they can do, how they can help um, a bereaved parent get through the Christmas season. So what can family members or friends do that um, can help someone get through these hard days? I had a couple of beautiful, precious sisters in Christ who, the first month after Dominic died, they began coming to visit me. They lived about two hours away. And they would come once a month, and they would bring uh, lunch, and they would stay all day. Mm. And we talked or didn't talk. I cried or I didn't cry. They very um, supportive and very uh, well-versed in Scripture and always pointed me to the Lord, but never never tried to correct me, never tried to tell me I needed mm. to think a certain way, right. feel a certain way, or whatever. Neither of them are bereaved parents. Mm. And I would say that, not that somebody had to come every month, but that model of coming, bringing what was necessary, and staying as long as as I needed them to, even if it got uncomfortable, even if I was crying, even if I was, you know, fussing and asking God questions or whatever, that model is one that, People who love bereaved parents can follow in every season at all times. Mm -hmm. So remember the child that's missing. You know, if you want to get an ornament for the parent to hang on the tree with that child's that either has something meaningful about that child or has that child's name on it or whatever, um, I think that's wonderful. If you have um, 
pictures, this is another huge thing, is if you have pictures of a bereaved parent's child, especially ones that he or she has not seen mm-hmm. before, and you print those off, yes, we have digital everything, but just to have them in your hot little hands yes. is just wonderful. If you have um, the time, especially for with with parents that have younger children, if you have the time and you can be one of those people that picks up some of the the pieces that the bereaved parents can't, just can't quite manage for these younger kids, do it. If you have, I mean, in the very early days, I know I've had some moms that have said that a friend was willing to either do the shopping for them completely or go with them shopping when they didn't feel like they could go by themselves. Um, I mean, there are just you know, drop drop an evening meal, you know, years after the child has been gone. Drop mm-hmm. an evening meal and say, hey, I just want to bless you with a, a family evening, you know, where you don't have to worry about getting the meal wow. or whatever. Yeah. It, it'll kind of depend on knowing the family. Sure. But, um, but there's anything that you would do for someone when they just had a baby, mm-hmm. I think is exactly the same thing that you can do and would bless them for someone who has lost a child. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to look at it. And I think that it could be done regardless of how long it's been since the child has been in heaven. Mm-hmm. Because the holidays make it fresh. Yeah. And and they're particularly stressful for everybody all the time, you know, anyway. Right. Um, so I that's really, I guess, if in a nutshell, that's what I would say. If you would do it for... For a family with a newborn, it's probably something you could do for a family that's lost a child. Yeah. I like what you just said about how the holidays make it fresh. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it's been years, when those holidays happen and the families start to gather and you're buying one less Christmas present and there's, you know, fewer stockings and, ooh, it does. It brings it all back. Mm Mm-hmm. And and we and our society makes such a uh, there's such punctuation to the year mm-hmm. in United States society in particular uh, with Thanksgiving through Christmas. Yes, you know it's it's like the capping of the year. You know this is when we all get together. This is when we all you know uh, make merry, make amends, make memories. You know, mm-hmm. and all of those things. Well. It's very obvious that one of us is missing. Yes. And um, and nearly every Christmas celebration contains a family picture together. And yeah, boy, that's hard to. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So how have you found a balance between grieving Dom's absence at these special holiday and family events and celebrating the real reason for Christmas, which is the coming of the Savior that makes heaven possible? How have you been able to balance that well i think our family has always uh leaned pretty heavily on treating christmas as uh jesus Mm -hmm. you know jesus being the reason for the season yes you know some years we've done a better job some not so good but that's that's generally been our focus um so we carried that on i think and this is just my personal uh, choice. When Dominic died, we chose 
not to create like a special corner in the house with just all his pictures. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. That's just that was just our family's choice. Mm-hmm. I have four children and I as a mother felt like I needed to keep him in the context of the family. Right. So back to your question, that's basically what we've continued to do. Mm-hmm. So um, I do have some ornaments on the tree that are specifically um, remind us of Dominic, but I have ornaments on the tree that remind me of all the kids. Sure. Um, I have um, some picture ornaments and there's picture ornaments of all the children. Yes. I've tried sometimes uh, doing like lighting a candle mm-hmm. and it was, Lighting it and making a big deal out of it was uncomfortable for my family. Mm-hmm. So I realized quickly that it was meaningful to me, but uncomfortable for them. So I don't do it that way anymore. Mm-hmm. There is a candle on the table when we gather. I know why I lit it, mm-hmm. but I don't make a big pronouncement over yes, it. Yes, right. Um, another thing that I've done um, for the holidays, which I... I thought this, I, it was actually just something that came to me and I have just loved it. And I've snapped up all these little chairs that I find at Dollar Tree or at Dollar General, but they're little bitty chairs, maybe about inch and a half by inch and a half. And those little, um, dollar store, uh, flicky lights, they'll fit right in there. Hmm. So what I do is on my mantle, which is usually where we take the family photo, Mm -hmm. Um, and I also have things up there that could not, I couldn't light a candle because they, there's flammable things. <laughs> sure. And so, um, that chair sits up there the whole time while we're having family time yeah. during the holidays. And I just keep a candle lit in it, those little flicky candles mm-hmm. all the time. So I can look up there. I know that's what, you know, that's my token. I call them little love tokens. That's yeah. my love token. That reminds me that I'm remembering him, but I'm not making such a deal about it that it's um, taking away from my other kids exactly. or from the general purpose of Christmas. Absolutely. So I guess subtlety is, is our family's way we've done it. Yeah. I like subtlety in that <laughs> way. I like that it's that, um, you know, the memory is there, the honoring of Dominic's life is there, yet it doesn't overpower or overshadow um, the family gathering that's going on. Um, for me, after Hannah went to heaven, I viewed Christmas in a completely different way. Um, really, all of the trappings of Christmas have just kind of been pared away. Mm-hmm. And My focus is on the real reason for Christmas. And because of that, because Jesus came to earth as a baby, I get to see Hannah again. Mm -hmm. So it is a holiday that is worthy of great celebration. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I miss Hannah terribly Mm -hmm. on those days, you know, because usually Christmas is not just one day in our family. It's extended over several days. Um, But if I intentionally keep my focus on on that, then that really helps me. And that has helped me over the last, um, goodness, I think this will probably be our 12th Christmas mm-hmm. without Hannah. And uh, so that has helped me, is just really keeping my focus there. And I didn't think of this when we were, when we, we were initially talking about, but I usually do some kind of an Advent um, mm-hmm. devotional. Yeah. And that helps too. And um, so it, it really, you know, it helps 
move me through the season, again, focusing on Jesus. And um, I have several that focus on the names of God and the names of yeah. Jesus. And, and uh, you know, he is his name. Unlike we, who were named by, by fallible parents, he is his name. He is exactly who he says he is. And, um, and I just love, you know, rehearsing the names of God. And yeah. so that is, that is one thing that I've, I've done. I did that even before Dominic went to heaven you know it was one of the things that i did we had we we hung the names of jesus on our on our christmas tree and that was always a very special part of our decorating for me well in emmanuel god with mm-hmm. us i mean that's what it's all about yep. and uh yeah it just really really makes a difference where you're where you put your focus it does. so i've got one more question for you we've almost been talking for an hour so what have you learned about god through your experience with Dominic? I've learned that how I thought he worked in the world Mm -hmm. is not necessarily how he does work in the world. And that I was the one that was mistaken. He's not mistaken. And that I can pull, I did pull everything that I thought I knew about him and about his character, and about how he worked in the world out, and examined it in the light of child loss, and found that he is the ever-faithful, always-loving, never-lying, always-merciful, and graceful God. And that while I may not like what he's doing, I actually don't many times, um, he doesn't owe me an explanation. What he has promised me is his presence. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, you know, the names of, of Jesus, well, and God, you know, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, mm-hmm. and Sar Shalom, the King of peace. Jesus himself, he not only brings peace, he is peace. Mm-hmm. He's the promise giver and the promise maker and the promise itself. And that's what I've found to be true. And I rest in that, knowing that the questions that I have, while they still plague me, and I do frequently take them to God, won't matter when I see Him. And so, on my good days, I can just say that to myself and walk away from Him. Mm -hmm. On my bad days, I can say them to Him and know he listens, he saves my tears in his bottle, and he will keep walking with me on this life I did not choose right. <laughs> as far as it takes me mm-hmm. until I'm home. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's really what I've learned, that he's, he is always here. Amen. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. And being our guest today to share the story of your son, Dominic, and God's faithfulness to you in this journey, this life that you didn't choose. Um, We appreciate you sharing these practical tips with us and just kind of opening your heart about Christmas and and some of the things that you have have learned about dealing with the holidays um, because Christmas season is almost upon us. And we know it's going to be such an unusual year this year. I mean, Christmas is always hard, but with COVID, it's just really um, more complicated than ever. And I can see for some people, it'd be like, yes, we don't have to gather this year. <laughs> 
you know, for some folks that may be a good thing. Um, it's a relief. Yeah, it can be a relief. But then on the other hand, you know, we miss that time with our families. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're having to juggle some extra things this year for sure. So, um, but I'm going to be putting a link to your blog in the show notes um, so that anybody that hasn't been following it can get in on the blessing. And I've enjoyed our visit today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Not a thing, except that while we're waiting is a tremendous ministry and a great blessing to so many, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. You have a good and uh, peace-filled Christmas, okay? You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.